Well, we come here to show you how to take care of your lawns, but we also try to show you how to take care of yourselves too, ladies and gentlemen. It's really important, all right? So uh, if if you're ever in a situation where you need to decompact yourself or others, be like, listen, I, ta- I, I listen to my friends on the Grass Podcast, and this is what we need to do. And everybody's going to be like, what is going on now? You can be that person, all right? All right, on that note, let's do a show. <laughs> as business owners entrepreneurs family men it's difficult for us to find the time to put together projects like these even though it's something we really want to do unfortunately taking care of the things we have to take care of comes first however because of viewer support for people like you we're able to continue doing this please consider joining our patreon and supporting the burn and return podcast covering news from the agricultural and turf grass industries. Dagum. They started over again. No. Listen, hey, it's time for Burn and Return. We wanted to do the show so gosh darn badly that we Play the intro twice because that's what thing that's as things happen around here. It's okay. We don't have, you know, all the bells and whistles that some of our other friends do. But listen, tonight what we do have is my good friend Ray Ito is here. Matt is on assignment. He's out working and uh doing things that make him more money than this show because you know what? We pander to everybody and try to get all their money from Patreon and all those other sources. Just a fledgling show here, ladies and gentlemen. Bunch of worthless creeps. We have no other jobs, no other means of gainful employment. And so this is what we've pegged our entire future on, and I'm glad to do it tonight with Ray. Ray, how are you this evening? I'm good at the moment, Ryan. I'm good. I mean, uh, I was telling J-Pink that uh, I spent the day drinking coffee and not getting a darn thing done. I mean, that's a, that's a good Sunday in my book. Yeah, because I personally do not believe in the hustle and productivity culture i think it's bullshit <laughs> give me an example of what uh, who is the uh the largest offender in the hustle and productivity culture right now if you had to peg it on one person hustle and productivity culture i'd probably say anybody and i repeat anybody that is on youtube Telling other people how to live. Anybody. Well, there you go. I I, I think uh, yeah, we'll we'll get into the whole turf self help thing here a little bit later on in one of mm-hmm. our segments because uh, yeah, that 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 does tend to happen. But before we do all that, we've got to get through the headlines. Nothing to fear here. This is just the well, Ray, we're going to start off with some good news, and that being that wholesale fertilizer prices are tumbling. Bloomberg writers Kim Chetman and Elizabeth Elkin reported Friday that, quote-unquote, corn farmers stung by soaring fertilizer costs in the aftermath 
of Ukraine's invasion are poised for further relief as wholesale prices tumble to the lowest in almost two years. So they're talking a little bit here. They kind of slide through a few things. And uh, one of the interesting things here, right, is if we get down to the average price, this is UAN, urea ammonium nitrate, which mm-hmm. isn't so much of a, uh, a big turf product per se, uh, but it's interesting to watch the price curves here. So they're showing, uh, for those of you that are following along on the uh, audio format, the uh, huge increase uh, in UAN on a per-ton basis starting in 2021, where uh, we started off the year in t- January of 21, uh, right about $250 or so a ton, and then spiking all the way up to just below uh, $700 a ton. Stayed pretty flat through last year, and now it's starting to uh, decline. Now, it's nowhere near those 2021 prices, but things are headed in the right direction here, Ray. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I I think one thing I wanted to point out here, you know, they talked about a little bit about, um, you know, DAP is going down. You know, so all uh, all the other fertilizers outside of nitrogen, right, are going down at a little bit slower rate as it currently stands, but um, I think what we wanted to highlight here from a headlines perspective is you're seeing a lot of uh, publicity out there, especially in the lawn care space, more so on the homeowner and DIY side and less so on the professional side with regards to fertilizer prices. And I think the main thing we wanted to say here, Ray, is just that, you know, this, this decline in wholesale prices is good, but it's going to take a while to get, you know, that, that previously purchased inventory out of the market, right? Uh, that was purchased at higher prices, and, and thus it's going to be priced at retail at higher prices to recoup those costs. So what are you seeing out there in general terms of uh, fertilizer pricing, Ray? Are things steady? Are they down? Are they are they up? What, what are you seeing out there? Okay. Just as you said, I'm seeing the effects of last year's price spikes to this day because uh, – I got a quote for a product that I was looking for that was basically a 25-30 soluble, right? And my professional user price on that product was literally $50 for 25 pounds, whereas prior to the Ukrainian uh, incident, and even prior to COVID, an equivalent product would have been only about, I want to say, $35 for 25 pounds. Uh-huh. So I think what's going to have to happen is all of the material that was manufactured at the higher prices for commodities last year and the year before that, are going to have to exit the marketplace and re- and be replaced by product that has been manufactured to reflect the current downward trend. It's going to take a little bit of time. Most you know, definitely, and I think, it. in the in the higher priced, right? So the, the things that are... Um, that we find are a little bit more novel technologies, for example, you know, slow-release fertilizers and things of that nature, it's probably going to take even longer uh, for that to happen, too. So I think the, the moral of the story is this, is, um, you know, be, be cognizant and reticent of what's out there in the marketplace. Ask your uh, suppliers, too, especially if you're on the pro side. 
ask your suppliers what's you know been sitting in inventory for a while what needs to get used up and sold off mm-hmm. and maybe they'll catch you a deal um those are those are things and hopefully that you're taking advantage of already but if not something that you can certainly right. ask about but yes that that is what usually happens to me is that my supplier often turns me on to the products that nobody else wants to use. <laughs> okay? No, really. That, that, that's how it was. I said, hey, you know, we have stuff that they don't want to use it. And they say, hey. And they told me, we know, you know how to use this. <laughs> you know how to make, well, make this, uh, you know. <laughs> Make this, you know, that's the kind of that I said, sure. Flexibility. <laughs> that's the flexibility that you need to have though, right? So like I yeah. guess real quick yeah. on that on that note is how would you tell somebody that's, you know, um whether they've been in the business for a while or they have not, right? How do you mm-hmm. evaluate those products to see if they are gonna fit, especially if there's something that's maybe not used widely, so maybe you're not as comfortable with it or um, what would you do to maybe scour those lists? Because they can be long and expansive. I usually get some that are 10, 12 pages long uh, just from you know a small company uh, here in the Midwest, for example. But go on. Well, I this is kind of like the same uh, mantra in the uh, health and fil- fitness worlds in that they say, if it fits your macros, you know, that is how I evaluate something. So if something has an appropriate source of nitrogen and potassium, for example, I'm in. Okay. And if something fits in the way that I make the applications, then I'm definitely in. And that's kind of where I can sometimes get deals because. Everybody, for example, is used to pushing a spreader or else uh, sending out illiterate illiterate labors uh, to recreate the scene from the Dark Ages, uh, sowing a a wheat field, for example. But, uh, hey, I can get deals on soluble materials. I can get deals on eggs that had a a forklift accident because i you know i tell my supplier hey if the bag you know got cut no problem because i'll uh transfer that product into a airtight and watertight drum uh you know upon receipt no problem i mean i'll take the cut bag it's okay (laughs) so there you go folks tonight's tip and trick is scratch and dent fertilizer bin all right Yes. Uh, big believers yes. in it right here. Big believers in it. So moving on here, we're going to cop across over to Sweden. Actually, not Sweden, just Europe mm-hmm. in general. But the Swedish minister expects job only half done on pesticide reduction plant. A common position among the EU agriculture ministers on the sustainable use of pesticides regulation, or SUR, S-U-R, uh, as an acronym, will not be reached under the Swedish East EU presidency. Swedish Agriculture Minister Peter Kulgren told Euractive in an exclusive interview. The contentious but ambitious proposal aims to slash the use and risk of pesticides in half 
by 2030, as set out in the EU's flagship food policy, the farm-to-fork strategy. But progress on the file has not been smooth running, with EU agriculture ministers formally demanding an additional impact assessment to the Commission to get more information before proceeding, effectively stalling negotiations on the crucial file. However, Swedish minister told your active that on parts of the file not linked to the impact assessment, EU ministers, quote-unquote, intend to start working on compromised texts based on the contributions of member states and with the most likely aim of presenting a progress report in June. Quote-unquote, we intend to continue the examination of the Commission's proposal and we'll take the file forward, Holgren said. Asked whether he expects to seal the deal on a common position of the EU ministers ahead of the talks with the European Parliament before the end of the presidency, the minister said that until the Commission provides more information requested by the Council, the quote-unquote optimistic objective would be an agreement on specific articles but not a full general approach. Comments come on the back of news that the EU Parliament's uh, Agriculture Committee is not prepared to give its take on the proposal until it's received the supplementary data. In a letter from the committee chair, Norbert Linz, addressed to Parliament President Roberta Metzola, uh, as seen by your active Linz, maintains both legislators, obviously will not be in a position to vote on this text before having received and analyzed the above additional elements. As the council does not schedule a common approach by then, similar to the Agriculture Committee would consider a consider irrelevant giving an opinion on the proposal when an impact assessment is not done yet or pending so that's the hit gist of it right so it, we've talked about this before but it's kind of curious to get the update and this is sort of the horse's mouth where folks are um it, it's the political back and forth right so i think uh there's a co- it sounds to me this is just my take sounds like there's a common sense approach that's afoot and there's a very mm-hmm. um how should i say deliberate approach right that is trying to slow things down, take in all the data, and nothing against doing that, right, and understanding everything. However, I think the common sense approach understands that the compromise is probably going to fall short of what the hardliners want in this case. Yes. And, yes. Uh, you know, we're, 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 we're playing uh, semantics, red tape, BS games with, you know, schedule and everything like that. So what's, you know... This strategy we've talked about before, you know, the farm to fork uh, strategy by the EU. Is there anything that an, an, a different impact assessment is going to provide, or do you think this is just trying to muddy the waters? No, I think uh, this is a good step. I think Ray froze mid-sentence. Oh, I thought it was me for a second. <laughs> no, it Man. wasn't you. Right. It was Ray. <laughs> Man, I thought I died too. Okay, so I thought he just dropped just the. I thought he just dropped the mic. I think this is a good step. Uh, yeah, I, I, I thought he dropped the mic or did one of his dramatic pauses. So here's what I'll say: is <laughs> oh, Ray, I, I, I do think that there is something to this, right? In the sense that uh, there might be more information that comes out from an impact assessment, but I think more uh, more pressing would be uh, the monitoring of this program, right? So if we're going to institute this, how are they going to monitor and make sure that these reductions actually take place? And two, again, we keep going back to this whole velocity of change argument. What is going to be done, right, to ensure that there's development of you know, alternative crops, alternative species, uh, developments, cultivars, whatever the case might be, 
outside of the product realm, right? And then even within the product realm, do we have uh, the incentives in place for private industry to develop these? I don't know. I don't know if that's the case here in the EU. Be interested to see how this plays out the rest of the way. Now, we'll move over to our final headline here. Kind of an interesting take here. It's a little bit of a summary on a study that was done uh, here. If mine's going to load, did I die too? Are we all dead? No, well, I hear you. Uh, Ray, Ray said his PC glitched. Oh, it's okay. Now, we'll, we'll take this here and give it hell. If this thing will load. Yeah, here we go. All right. So, study warns conventional pesticides, uh, conventional pesticide toxicity while urging organic alternatives. So, ambitions of the European Green Deal have to have pesticide use by 2030 have resulted in raising organic options as promising natural pesticide alternatives. However, the European Crop Protection Association, the ECPA, has warned, quote-unquote, ecological trade-offs implied by an increase in organic agriculture, such as increased pesticide use as greater quantities of organic fertilizer being used across larger land areas are needed to maintain the current level of productivity. In response, uh, the Organics of Europe Umbrella Organization for Organic uh, Agriculture in Europe commissioned an assessment to investigate these claims, finding that synthetic pesticides are highly toxic compared to their organic counterparts. Well, okay, a fair and accurate statement. The evaluation published in the journal Toxins found that half, 55% of the 256 active substances in mostly synthetic pesticides permitted in conventional agriculture carry health or environmental hazard warnings. In comparison, 134 natural and active substances permitted under organic agriculture, only 3% have similar warnings. All right, so it goes on to say organics have been touted, and we can slide down to this next section here. Organics touted as a robust solution. However, the authors of the study argue that organic alternatives to synthetic pesticides will reduce toxic applications and provide a steadfast safeguard capable of maintaining food security. Quote unquote, organic farm focus, organic farms focus on preventative measures such as using robust varieties, sensible crop rotations, maintaining soil health, and increasing biodiversity on the field to avoid external inputs. This is why around 90% of the farmland, especially arable farming, you know, pesticides are used, not even natural substances. Nevertheless, if pests get out of hand, beneficial insects, microorganisms, pheromones, or deterrents are organic farmers' second choice. Leo Below, president of the Agroecology Europe, Time's up, agrees. it's over. There you go. She says that right now, too. The implementation of the Farm to Fork strategy and the biodiversity strategy with its pesticide reduction targets is essential to establish resilient agroecological food systems in Europe. So they go on here to talk about you know some other things, microorganisms uh, as pesticides, so basically trying to find uh, predators in the environment that will target uh, undesirable pests, things that we see from time to time, you know, all this stuff. And, and again, the back and forth nature of this, the politicization of, uh, this topic in terms of what's right and what's wrong. It's not necessarily what's right. and What's wrong. The answer is somewhere very much in the middle. And it's going to be, uh, you know, sort of turning that filter from black to white or into the gray space, right. And try to figure out, okay, here's where we are now. We've got to move in this direction, but how far can we move reasonably without drawing in, um, you know, the extra scrutiny that pesticide applications involve, but also understanding that 
you know, the organic side of things, like all that stuff about, uh, nevertheless, if pesticides get out of hand, beneficial insects, microorganisms, organisms, pheromones, or deterrence, uh, it's a little bit of sunshine and puppy dogs. We gotta, we gotta be careful with that. So interesting times. It's going to be fun to watch. And with that, we are going to jump over J pink into my favorite segment. Joe knows to Uh, real quick. I was just going to chime in Ray's final thoughts on the whole Swedish thing. The reality that the current world situation, hopefully brought to the forefront is that dystopian environmental mandates have consequences, save the earth, but at the expense of poverty and starvation, I can only hope that rational power, people in power can see that depopulation is the real agenda. (laughs) (laughs) Joe knows tough. (laughs) I'm Joe. I'm going to give you a bunch of accurate turf facts today because Joe knows turf. What a what a lead in there, you know. You're welcome, to Ray. Me. Uh, yeah, Ray. Ray uh, says that uh, the EU is trying to uh, exterminate continents of people uh, through not feeding them, and we're jumping into Genoa's turf. So there's that that cheery intro. Now, listen. Uh, first off, uh, just want to say uh, to our sponsor, Joe. Uh, he's got a new gig, and uh, go ahead and throw that up there for us, Jay Pink. Make sure everybody knows about this as an alternative. Uh, Tuesday nights, 8.55 Eastern time, uh, in the evening there. Uh, it's the Joe and Travis show. I don't know if they have a name for it yet, but, uh, uh, somebody's coming for them. I don't know who and or still or what, but anyway, um, I said last week and I'll say it this week too, and, and keep going here. Beating the drum is, uh, there, Joe is our sponsor and we're glad to see him doing great things out there. And I think, that uh, if you do, if you don't like us, if you hate us as a show, hate the things we say and we stand for, this is an alternative. And I'm glad that there's an alternative out there for us because you know what there isn't. There isn't an alternative for this, uh, this, this guest that we're about to have on here as a part of Jonah's Turf. And I just simply cannot find a class to put him in in which he exists only by himself. It's, it's, he's literally a top uh, living in his own world, in his own space uh amongst long care youtube and so let's go ahead and watch uh, a couple of these clips from mr ron henry what rate are you are you using certainty um with and are you using surfacting with it because I, i'll tell you like i did an application on the turf park uh the rose turf park and i also did one on uh alex's lawn work near his mailbox where he had some poe as well too and it's been the turf park has been 10 days and Alex's lawn have been about the same thing and it's already dying off. Like it's, it's, it's already, it's already yellowing pretty strongly and it's, it's, you know, another week or so it's going to be, um, it's going to be pretty much dead. So what I'll, I'm, so I'd like to see, I, tell you what, if you don't mind, send me pictures of what you're dealing with. So this is my email, ron at golfcourselawn.com. You should have it. Send me a picture of how the, um, on how, of how it's progressing. The rate that you use for POA is heavier than the rate that you need to use for sedges. So for sedges in the summertime, you can get by with, and I did this in the video that I, I posted last week, I think, on um, on controlling weeds in your lawn. For sedges, all right. For sedges, pause real quick, J Pink. So 
again, we're talking about uh, certainty here for POA control in the southeast. So that's that's one here. Let's let's dive into the second one, and then we'll react all at the end. Friday, I threw down the awesome certainty Celsius combo plus surfactant. Had inspected rain four to five hours after, after application. Should I be concerned? Uh, you should be okay, Dwayne. I mean, it would have been better than to not have rain, but given that you use surfactant, it likely was dry and you're, you're still going to get a, a good result with it. You know, guys, on the topic of Celsius and certainty, so one thing some of you guys have been asking for is uh, Celsius here recently has made available Celsius in a smaller a smaller packet. So I'll actually, I'll show you guys here on the store. Or actually, I'll show you. Yeah, I can do, do both. We'll go with this. We can, on the topic of Celsius uncertainty. So you go to shop, go to weed killer, and Celsius before was really only um, available in this 10 ounce, right? Which is really, to be completely honest, this is the best deal. As far as, even though it's like $160, this is still the best deal as far as um, like the amount of applications you get, the cost per application, and just being able to have enough product that you're not going to have to buy it anytime soon for years and years and years. However, some people just want to be able to get a, a single application down, do so, do a bit of cleanup, do a bit of spot spraying. So here recently, there's been a new option that's been introduced that is a single application, a single dose. So this is 0.226 um, ounces of um, of Celsius. So what that looks like, I've actually got one of them here. We, we, we got some in and it sold out really quickly. So we've already got some more coming in. So I, I think it's before March 10th when we expect our next shipment. And so if you guys want to pre-order it, you can. But this is what it looks like, right? So what's cool about this is that if you have, again, you're doing, doing some spot spraying and you don't think you're going to be having to do it regularly and you just don't want and you don't really care that you're paying a bit more for the application, this 0.226 is enough for... Um, for two gallons of water at the high rate. Now, they also say you can use this the same amount with four gallons of water. That's a lower rate. And if you were gonna if you were gonna use that in the summertime when it was hot, I'd say you could get away with using one of these over four gallons of water. If it were me, I would do, I would limit like one of these to two gallons of water because that's a concentration that I find you get uh, a good, a better control, you get a better result with. So for those of you guys that were asking for it, um, we got some in and it's all gone. We have some more coming in, but now as far as Celsius, you've got an option here for a single use packet. Again, this is um, 0.226 or in, in my opinion, um, two gallons worth of water, enough for 2,000 square feet. Uh, and that's gonna be, there's gonna be more available here soon. I say March 10th, we intend to have some in uh, before then. And again, if you wanna get yours, get yours um, locked in, you can pre-order it. And as soon as it comes in, it'll go out to you. Or if you wanna wait, you can wait too. But again, the best deal is still the um, this one, the, the 10 ounce, as far as just what your cost per Pause. application goes, but. Okay. Uh, last one, throw this last one up. And this is, this is the one that'll be, uh, really the icing on the cake. Oh, no, oh, oh, not that one here. The, the, yeah, there you go. Uh, we'll go I think he says that. his grass looks like curly fries. Yeah. So I think, um, this question, the 305 whips, that question about, um, uh, it was in, I think he's referring to tip burn. I think that's what he's talking about is tip burn. And the way to, ref, to, to prevent tip burn in Primo with, with Primo Max, which next pack ethyl is very simple. Just two ways you can do it. Um, you can either add fertilizer with it. That's going to help reduce it. A way to prevent it entirely is to take whatever the application rate is for your particular grass type and split it and cut it in half. So instead of applying, again, a good example to make the math easy, if you take like Kentucky bluegrass where it's 0. 0.60 ounces with a gallon of water over 1,000 square feet once per month, instead of doing that, take um, the, um, the 0. 0.60 
cut it in half, apply 0 0.30 in the beginning of the month and 0 0.30 the um, middle of the month. And that's going to prevent you um, to, from having the, um, you know, you're not going to have the issues with, with tip burn. Um, I, I did that all of last year and love the results. There's really no negatives to going, to going that route 305. So, okay. Um, hope that helps. If that's right what he's asking. Okay. okay. So we're going to unpack this and we're going to go back to front. Okay. Cause uh, the, the Primo one is one I definitely want to talk about in a larger in a larger sense right um this is what this is what happens right when uh people are i don't know what point they're at in the dunning kruger uh, uh frame of reference there but boy howdy there's a lot of advice being thrown around out there and not a lot of uh thought being put behind it or experience in this case and you know what i'm not going to sit here and trash run henry i'm just going to say that you got to be very careful with how you give advice to people and especially when it's like a three-hour infomercial. That's the, that's, that's the part that kind of gets a little bit kooky. And I think even Joe and Travis would agree with that portion, right? So to keep things simple here, let's look at the, uh, the Primo issue uh, to start. Jaypink, go ahead and throw up that link. So what Ron is talking about, or what his viewers were talking about, was that the turf looks really, really what they would call spindly. And I'll see if I can find a good picture here. Uh, and essentially what happens is, right, under heavy regulation, um, you have this uh, this effect called atoilation, right? And in that particular sense, you get these real spindly blades that kind of writhe up. Ooh, this is a perfect picture. I'm going to go ahead and share this on with JPink real quick. There you go. And it's not every single blade of grass. It's like uh, individual blades that come out on their own, and they grow way faster, and they get this real spindly, like almost curly fry, like uh, growth pattern, right? And so right here, you'll see in the center of this photo, if you're watching on the video format, uh, in and amongst uh, a bunch of other cool season grass, this is a blade of uh, what's probably either creeping, it looks like creeping bent grass potentially, um, that is sticking straight up right above lower cut turf. And this can even happen in higher cut turf. The issue here is that this grass has been over-regulated. And so much so that uh, this happened a lot um, one summer about seven years ago on a lot of golf courses in particular really hot wet summer that year and so growth rates were kind of like all over the place and so primo uh if you don't know is a growth regulator regulator that works by slowing down uh gibberellic acid production which is the the, uh, the growth hormone right that increases cell elongation right so in the process here of messing with that the synthesis of that particular uh growth hormone the plant kind of goes into uh, a slower production of that but if growth rates are higher because of water and ambient air temperature, and if the uh, Primo is degrading at a faster rate inside the plant, right, um, because of high temperatures, because we know that's what influences its degradation inside the plant and its effective use time, you could have some problems, right? So Ron is saying, hey, take the label rate and go ahead and just apply that on a, a monthly basis, either if you want to do it one time or if you want to split it up and go in multiple apps. I think he suggested in the video you know, taking, for instance, a Kentucky bluegrass rate of 0.6 uh, fluid ounces per thousand and um, dividing that out over uh, two different applications, right? I would say that that's probably on the higher end of the spectrum. Some of those label rates on Primo uh, specific to, you know, geography, where you're at in the country, the type of grass you have, all that becomes very, very um, experiential and a little less uh, just straight off the label and go. So all that being said, his viewers are coming back and saying, hey, there is a problem, right, that we're seeing in terms of Time's what's up, going on with the grass. 
and it could be times up it's over you got to be careful with this stuff so that's my point there the other point uh related to the herbicides is this is that uh, i think the recommendation or the the question that came up right what should i do uh if i had just applied certainty and celsius together as a as a herbicide combination with a surfactant and it rained five or six hours later okay um the here's the big problem right the big problem is the celsius because the celsius moves like a mofo like it will go off target real easy and real quick even if you have a surfactant doesn't that doesn't matter okay so uh to that extent you got to be very very careful in how you give those instructions in fact the instructions that are listed even on the golf course lawn uh website go ahead and throw that up for me real quick jay pink and let's see this slide on down there. Keep going, keep going, keep going all the way. It's going to be on that right-hand column and right there, uh, water instructions. Do not water this product in. Do not apply. Oh, here we go. Do not apply if rain is forecasted within the following 48 hours. All right. So the question came in, it's on your website. This is important stuff. This isn't like, you know, Hey, you know, the, the fertilizer got washed in a little too good or something like that. And all those things are bad, but this particular one, you got to be extra, extra careful with. And so, uh, <clears throat> again, where you get your advice, and I don't care if you're a pro, if you're an amateur or anything like that, you can tell me to stay in my lane, do whatever, I don't care, but this is not a good thing if it happens, right? So you have to be careful with these. It even goes, go back up to the top here real quick, all the way to the top on this page for me, Jay Pink. Slide all the way up. Okay, so they talk about this being a professional solution, right? Uh, these are professional products. Please be careful with that. I, I implore you that you need to do that. So with that being said, that's this week's Joe Knows Turf. Check out Joe and Travis, Tuesdays, 9 p.m., the alternative, the anti-grass factor. Uh, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I just mean that if you don't like us, you got something else to like. These guys, are they're likable guys. They just, you know, they jive to a different turkey. All right? Now, with that being said, it's time to go in and check out the birds. Now, uh, there's a, a strong likelihood that that, uh, that soundtrack was not a soundtrack. It was actual live audio uh, from Ray's house where he has gotten off the, uh, the, the stream here and is doing unnatural things with Sheila. And good, good for him, actually. He is uh, rebooting his computer, and his computer gets the first burn uh, of this evening. Now, that all being said, let's dive in and see what we're dealing with here. And I think the first thing that comes to mind is this is the fact that uh oh, america's most boring association is fighting the planet all right so i'm not going to read this article we'll leave it in our links below but basically uh the, the crux of this whole thing is that homeowners associations are driving the uh the push for perfect lawns in our landscapes and our subdivisions in certain neighborhoods and things like that, and that their their need and desire for uh, this you know this unnaturally uh, perfect lawn is what's creating more problems than it uh, it solves, right? And so I do think it's an interesting thing to talk a little bit about this on our show for the simple fact that there are a lot of uh, you know larger landscape contractors, even smaller ones, right, that take care of these HOAs, and I I can speak from experience in saying that I've read over 
a lot of these contracts and the specifications that go along with them. And I got to say that they're fucking dreadful. I mean, usually, uh, uh, usually right off the bat, the boilerplate BS that goes into these things and the level of thought that's put into them is, uh, what did, what did Dr. Shattuck say? A number, the lowest possible positive number above zero. That's how, that's my level of confidence in these, uh, just the same. Uh, a lot of times it is uh, unnecessary uh, to a uh, hilt in terms of what is uh, told to contractors that they need to use, and there's very little wiggle room, and contractors are simply pricing out what's in the you know specifications and documents. And other times, it's such a wide berth, right, that uh, you'll have contractors come in there and sort of help write those specs and and kind of get themselves into a situation where they're selling whatever it is they want to sell, and, and quite other times. Uh, the the prices come back so apples to oranges nobody can tell the point though from an agronomic perspective is you know I see a lot of things here where uh you know especially even even older you know subdivisions and HOAs where you know there's still a call to put down you know between four and five pounds of nitrogen you know per year uh in lawns that are well established and don't necessarily need it and in other cases you've got brand new subdivisions where clearly you know uh we've all seen it we've talked about it on the show with practitioners and DIYers about crappy soil and just, you know, poor, uh, poor soil that was used to put back into front and backyards, common areas, things of that nature. And, you know, not giving those uh, contractors the, uh, the room, you know, within the pricing structure or within uh, the specifications to deal with those issues effectively, uh, kind of hamstrings everybody. So I think the point here is that if you do work with HOAs, right, and if you're a, um, if you're a pro or if you're, a DIYer and you're a member of an HOA, that you ought to question that a little bit more, right? So I know everybody wants to get to sale, you know, when you're a pro and you want to get in there and, and bid your number and try to beat all those other guys out. But even if, if you don't think it's good to try and find the folks that want to do it the right way and do it a better way and try to educate them uh, and through that process, you know, delivering some of that value, that maybe you'll have a better shot at getting it next time. And you'll learn a little bit too along the way about how to price these better how to use, you know, unique and tailored solutions as opposed to just the uh, basic bitch bullshit, Ray, that goes into all of these. What do mm-hmm. you think about HOAs, Ray? I can't wait to hear this. Okay. What I think about HOAs is they're essentially unconstitutional. Get fucked! Exactly, because... <laughs> They are essentially trying to circumvent all manner of private property rights. In other words, you sign into an HOA, that's as if you are entering a world where all of your rights no longer apply. That's one thing. And then, Ryan, as my camera was switching back on, I caught what you said about how There is an opportunity to do better regarding standards of work and so forth, but then in an HOA, virtually impossible because common sense and reason goes out the door in the name of short-term appearance. That is my big criticism of an HOA is basically 
I've gone toe-to-toe with HOAs too, myself. And do you know what I tell them? I can imagine some of the things you may have told them in the past and think of telling them, but just haven't said yet. Mm-hmm. Not yeah. many of them are good. And No, none of them are good. Because basically, I end up telling an HOA, I give zero fucks about short-term appearance because short-term appearance all goes back to how you always say, Ryan, in turf grass, the only things that happen fast are bad things. This is very true. I've seen things happen fast. Let me say that. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and a lot of them aren't good right well <laughs> a lot of them I'm, ain't good I'm, I'm i'm just saying i've seen things happen fast that's all i'll stop it right there but i think mm-hmm. what you're saying is is that um you know it, when 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 green dot goes into the hoa i think what you need to ask for the the cell should be a very hard one it should be i'm here for a lifetime contract which means until i die or your landscape dies i'm here get it people mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like I'm not I'm not running away. I mean, I tell people, listen, I take responsibility and ownership for whatever happens, be it good, be it bad, and because I take that ownership, uh I will seek long-term solutions for all the problems that I've identified. I'm not here for the quick fix. You know, I don't I don't do that because Ryan, yes. do you know what stacking one quick fist on top of another is? I call that hospice care. You're basically yeah. you're basically doing short term symptom management, knowing that it's never gonna get better and I'm sorry uncle's gonna die. That's it. Well, and I, I, I wholeheartedly agree with that, and I love your bedside manner. Um, very gentle, very, very redeeming. I think the thing to think about, though, is that, uh, in to, to your point about the old axiom, you know, the only thing that happens quickly in agriculture or turf grass uh, is, is crop failure, right? Is that, mm-hmm. you know, when stacking all of these solutions on top of one another, I have found both an experience and an observation that that is the time when you are most likely to make a mistake and have a failure because you've not thought the whole thing through, right? And how A affects mm-hmm. B and B affects E and E affects B, right? You know, all those, uh, all those yeah, yeah, relationships. Yeah. You know, Ryan, and that's when you fuck this shit reminds up. Me, yeah, this reminds me of how in a busy hospital, Mistakes get made, you know, during the during the code that were inevitably you're going to lose the patient. And likewise, when dealing with the turf grass or landscape situation where you are running around applying all of these quick fixes in, in the name of a short term improvement of appearance, sooner or later. Something bad's going to happen. Uh, mistakes will be made. Unforeseen circumstances are going to pop up. And then, sorry, uh, you're going to lose your patient. And 
Ryan, that is just something that I have learned being in lawn and landscape management for 30 years, okay? I learned it. <laughs> well, so you know, I learned it the I hard was, way. Oh. <laughs> well, I think we all have the hard way is that if you don't if you do something you don't learn from it, uh it it's it's just not worth it. I don't care if that's success or failure. And the thing I wanted to point out about failure, especially with HOAs, and I think we all know this from you know, if we if if you've done residential or if you've done you know a lot of clients and customers, is you understand that everybody's unique. And I would say that especially mm-hmm. with HOAs, now you have a whole collection of these uh, unique individuals, and they're on a board together. And boy, howdy, does that mm-hmm. get messy! I think the mm-hmm. most often re- off reason I see landscape companies fail in um in HOAs is not necessarily because of their work. I would put wor- the the workmanship at probably number three, but number one was by far and away communication, poor communication of what mm-hmm. we're going to do, what you're expecting that we're going to do when we say that we're going to, Hey, we're going to do this. And somebody's expectation isn't set. And therefore, if it's not set, it's not met. And they get pissed mm-hmm. when that doesn't happen or what they expect to happen doesn't happen. And so I would say that if you're going to go in the HOA space, you know, I don't know that it can be lucrative. I know there's companies that bid those, you know, razor thin margins and it's tough to compete sometimes. But I do know that in certain areas of the country where those bigger companies aren't, it's an opportunity. And all I would say is it's a it's a really good opportunity to work on your communication skills and to be more tangible and specific. It is about finding what you just said, Ray, what is not right have them verbalize to you what's not right i'm going to say nine times out of ten what they think isn't right it has nothing to do with really what's not right and you've got to kind of bring them full circle and say oh hey by the way you know you think Mm -hmm. the grass is bad right but nobody's managed your irrigation system and actually like adjusted times or audited zones or anything like that for the last five years that you had your previous you know company or whatever so let's talk about yes. what this looks like in real terms because mm-hmm. yeah, I'm going to set some expectations. I'm going to make your turf look better, which you're not happy about. Number two, I'm going to save you on your water bill because it's probably sky high and fucked up because nobody's doing their job. <laughs> and number yeah. three, if I can't do those two things, I'm going to find out exactly why I can't because it's going to manifest itself in other ways. And we will figure out what those ways are after we've eliminated these other two possibilities. How does that sound, mm-hmm. Mrs. Jones? Boom. Yep. Right off and go into it. Yep. So yep. all I'm saying, uh, I was glad I was I was happy we got to talk about HOAs, Ray. I was I was waiting for you to, you know, dive into <laughs> uh communist politics and Marxism and everything else, but we, we stayed clear of that for the most part. I'm happy no, for no, it. Because it, it's got it's got nothing to do to do with that. Uh it's more like again, communication and you know us as an industry, I feel like we need to do better in not playing the games of falling into hospice care situations or not actually addressing problems. Because what I typically see is doing more of what is not working harder. That is the thing that I see, and you know that even applies to dealing with individuals on high value properties where one of the things that I tell them is 
if you have me, one of the things you're going to find out about me is that I do not believe in doing more of what everybody else is doing harder. I mean, I don't believe in that. And I asked them, so then why did you even agree to contract with me if that's what you expected? Because <laughs> homie don't play that. No, that's when you say, instead of get off my lawn, you say, get me the fuck off your lawn. That's how you do that, right? Yep. Get me yep. off your lawn. <laughs> yep. uh, yeah, get, get me off your lawn. I mean, it's like, it, and, and actually, that is when people realize that things are different with me because I am not begging for my job. <laughs> I'm telling them, okay, do tell me to leave and not come back. Please do. Tell me. So, Brett in the chat, which uh, you know, normally we don't reference the live stream that we have going on, but uh, this show is recorded live on Sunday nights and then posted on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. So our Patreon members, Patreon members get access to it uh, during our recording, and so it's fine and fun to have them participate. And uh, Brent uh, from Pro Turf Services, who was recently on the show, just said that HOAs are not usually a communication problem; however, they are a comprehension problem. And I think that's what it's I was a trying comprehension. To, that, number, that number two reason. I think the number one reason is is communication. I think number two is comprehension because if you can't comprehension, communicate, you're, you're never going to get to the comprehension part, right? We can tell them what we're mm -hmm. going to do all day long, but if we don't tell them why it's important and help set those expectations. So I wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly agree with you, Brent, uh, that the comprehension part is more about, again, setting expectations. Hey, here's what's going to happen and here's why and here's what we should see from this. Either we're going to see a result or we're going to identify you know, further things that we need to work on and work mm -hmm. our way down the flow chart uh, in getting their property the way that they want it to the extent possible or pulling a full ray and, you know, uh, cutting the electric to their house and capping off their water lines before you leave the property, maybe slashing a tire or two, you know, something like that. <laughs> uh, okay. So moving on, uh, we're going to go to our next burn, which is actually a video from the LA times uh, talking a little bit about uh, this a uh, nice woman in Pasadena, California, that was paid to remove her lawn and what the result of that was. This is about five minutes, but I think it's sort of important. There's a little bit of like dead space in the middle of, of video-ish, like B-roll stuff, but we'll listen to the whole thing real quick and then dive in. Supplies continuing to tighten. The Metropolitan Water District is paying homeowners to remove their grass yards. Approved applicants receive $5 per square foot. Not bad, given that the average lawn size in California is about 5,000 square feet. So we went to Pasadena to meet one resident who recently took advantage of the turf replacement program and pulled out her lawn. Came here when I was 22 from a place that rained a lot. And I immediately noticed that everybody here nurtures their grass. They're trying to encourage it, fertilize it, water it. And it just, to me, was odd. Because where I grew up, if you mowed the yard and you missed a week, you might blow your mower out because the grass was so long. In other places, you just have rain. <laughs> but since we have none here anymore, um, it was just really hard looking at all the water that went to grass. I think we watered well, it was how much and then how long. So I want to say that from two to three times a week. And one doesn't even think about it in terms of how many gallons that is. You're just trying to make your grass green. 
I think the American dream has always been like house, grass, and yard, and I just feel like that's gotta change. Uh, well, we're working now just to remove the grass. Uh, normally, it takes me a day, but today with a machine, we do it, you know, faster, maybe like an hour. Well, we cut the sections because, uh, you know, the grass is heavy, which come, come with the dirt. But normally, it's uh, 16 inches by, by two feet, so it's more easy for us to take to the truck. But sometimes, my guys, you see my guys, they, they are strong, so they lift their hands. It was remarkable. I mean, it was incredible how fast they, they went. And I had heard horror stories with sod cutters, you know, just how long they take, how much the blades need to be sharpened. And I mean, this just removed our whole yard in, I want to say, 30 minutes. It was incredible, maybe less. Use a really cheater. I tried to bring the up, the other roots. We waited like a couple of weeks. We planning after that, and then we can start doing the dripping uh, system. I hope everybody like you know to do this to save the water for California. It'd be nice. Oh. Oh. I think change is hard, harder than we think. And so, when you start to have what you've made, whatever your yard you have in your home, I think thinking of changing it, especially if you like it. Like, we didn't hate our yard, you know? We, we actually like planting plants and doing things like that. So when you make a change and you have to go for all different plants and, and, and different ways that, you know, you don't fertilize or water the same ways, you have to learn all new things. It's not a comfortable feeling. It's, I think people want it to be comfortable and it's not gonna be comfortable. It's gonna be strange. The rebate program just makes it more attractive because two to five dollars a square foot that really adds up and if you're gonna do it you know that that ought to that ought to help people decide to do it more now I found it easy to apply the most important thing is you have to have your plans and you have to have the person that's doing the work first and if you have that the rest of it's easy just upload pictures upload the drawings upload whatever you're planning on making in terms of your yard and then then you're good We watch yard by yard, things are transforming, which is kind of neat to see. People are amazing, that's the other thing. As much as we don't like change, when we do change, we are amazing at it. When you stop doing something, it doesn't become natural anymore. Okay, pause. And it really should be. All right. Uh, again, big picture down to small picture at first. Uh, there's a five minute long video here about a woman that's taking grass out of her lawn and putting in native plants and some mulch and a bunch of rock and it, it doesn't look good. Uh, I have questions about its functionality in the landscape and, and, and all mm -hmm. those things, but can we get off this? Uh, you know, you were talking about this before, Ray, the, the, the self-help influencers that, you know, she's talking about like this is some big change you know like she just got a new kidney or something and it's she took her fucking grass out of her front yard i mean let's let's put this into perspective here okay like it ain't that big of a change i mean you know switching toilet paper brands is probably more impactful to this woman's life than switching out the lawn i would think right switching out the lawn know. and i i have to ask no why did 
this lawn needs so much water, unless, of course, this lawn was a cool season grass growing in the very hot or warm part of California. You know, it's I got to I got to ask that L.A. Pass it. L.A. Yeah, because to me, you know, when somebody tells me L.A., I am thinking St. Augustine or Bermuda. However, I have met people from that part of California where they insist on growing tall fescue. And they can do that in Southern California, Ryan. However, mm -hmm. do you know what the problem is with trying to grow tall fescue in Southern California? What's that? It needs a shit ton of water. Uh, yeah. Okay. It needs a it needs a, a lot of water. And the reason why it can work in Southern California until it doesn't work is because Southern California doesn't have the humidity that drives disease pressure. So as long as you water that turf-type tall fescue in Southern California, that turf-type tall fescue will keep on going. No problems. But you cut the water off, party's over. <laughs> or you reduce the water, yeah. party's over. <laughs> So, uh, I, again, I, uh, this was interesting to see the, the transformation, if you will, of like the install and everything like that. And in this case, I know if you're if you're listening audio only, uh, you know, essentially what they did was they took out the sod, then they tilled up the soil that was there. Uh, they set mm -hmm. some, uh, a couple of the rock features in there and came back a couple months later by the, the timeline that's uh, shown in the video. And they installed some native plants and a whole shit pile of mulch. Right, just like mm -hmm. hardwood mulch. I wonder how that all looks, Ray, after you know the several storms that California has been battered by here over the last <sighs> several weeks, and you know, uh, again, looking at it from a, an erosion perspective and things like that. Like, are we trading one problem for another? And I understand that water is a is a scarce resource. Don't get me wrong, and I understand that there's far less rain in Southern California than there is in most other places of the country. That being said, right. Um, you know, here's my question is, you know, what is the water consumption of these lawns and have we done everything that we can, uh, in some of these spaces to make this the best choice? And other thing I would ask too, is that, and I don't know the answer to this. I'm just asking the question and, and I'm going to, when I have time here, these next few weeks is dig into this is what type of, um, you know, research and planning and everything like that has been put towards uh, making the best choices for what these landscapes look like when they are, uh, you know, removed of turf and put back to something that would be considered, you know, low maintenance, right. Or low water consumption. As I don't know that, I don't even know if you could say this is necessarily low maintenance. You're going to have to deal with weeds. You're going to have, you know, many of the same problems, except for now you don't have the grass and thatch and a root system, right. That's going to filter out some of those pollutants and things like that. And moreover is controlled erosion, right? We're hoping that the mulch can do that. But in this case, I mean, there's only so much that it can do. So I don't know. What do you think, Ray, about just the overall implementation of this and where we go from here? Is this, is this a, a, a fad or a real trend that we're going to look back on, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 years from now and be like, well, that didn't work. 
you know what, Ryan? What I suspect is going to happen is that these alternative landscapes, right? They're fine and good in isolation, but when every single yard in LA turns into either rocks or hardwood mulch and a couple of perennials scattered through that uh, through that landscape. I suspect that what's going to happen is the unintended consequences are going to be glaring. <laughs> and when I say glaring, we're going to see, for example, all of a sudden it's going to be realized that ambient temperature in the neighborhoods has gone up. Uh, therefore, electrical consumption goes up for cooling. And then, to your point, the Bay Area Environmental Authority is going to then ask, why the fuck is there all of this silt and runoff going into San Francisco Bay that wasn't there previously? What's going on? Yeah, and that's, because I don't know. I don't know what's going on in the northern part of the state. If that's happening, I would assume it is. I'll look for that, too. Go ahead. Yeah, because what's, uh, you know, because what's what I'm, I'm always acutely aware of is silt runoff. That is like a big environmental issue in my state is in order to attempt to protect the uh, health of the coastal ecosystem silt and soil runoff is a very stringently regulated uh, issue in fact uh, in a lot of cases you need special permission from the city and county of Honolulu as I was saying to change any kind of area that was designated to be turf grass into something that's not turf grass. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, it has to go through the building and environmental department and it's scrutinized. So my, my uh, here's all I would ask is that if, uh, maybe we'll see if uh, Aldo or somebody like that can hook us up, you know, Jim Barrett out there at UC Riverside or, or likewise, right? Just curious mm -hmm. on, in practice right like what people are seeing of these not after they've been installed and we just had the big hgtv reveal right show me one of mm -hmm. these three or five years down the road with a homeowner that manages it like most homeowners manage their lawn right i'm really curious to see what these look like and what sorts of ecological benefits or right detractors that they are presenting uh to these environments and if you you know, implement these at scale, what then then ends up happening. So I don't know, right? But uh, it ought to be fun to see the results. So if somebody out there knows mm -hmm. somebody who installs these or maintains these, uh, particularly in Southern California, has any recommendations on who to re reach out to, would love to do that uh, from an academic perspective, from landscape architects, uh, and especially those that maintain these. That'd be, uh, we'd love to talk to them and just learn more. Maybe we're wrong. I have no idea, but. Uh, just trying to think about it from a common sense perspective. But uh, we certainly do lack common sense. What we don't lack, though, is feel-good stories about turf grass in this week's returns.
I'm back to Ray and best what buddy. We're going to talk about your favorite subject, zoysia grass and the hybrid <laughs> development for the transition zone. All right. So a multidisciplinary systemic breeding effort among several universities has effectively developed multiple zoysia grass hybrids with improved turf color, winter hardiness, freeze tolerance, and large pass, to- large pass tolerance and finer leaf texture than Meyer zoysia grass. Since its release in 1951, Meyer zoysia grass remains one of the most winter-hardy zoysia grass cultivars, which is also why it's still the most widely used zoysia grass cultivar on the golf courses in the transition zone today. Research-proven differences in winter hardiness among cultivars of zoysia grass is one of the main reasons that zoysia grass cultivar selections vary by geographic location. In the last two decades, breeding programs have made progress in the development of zoysia hybrids with comparable winter hardiness to Meyer, but with superior establishment rate, turf quality, shade tolerance, leaf texture, or pest tolerance as compared to Meyer. Some examples include Chisholm zoysia grass, Innovation, and Lobo zoysia grass. However, breeding efforts continue because there are small, still many uh, improved traits yet to be desired, such as improved disease tolerance. So they go into this uh, infographic here where they're talking about uh, this this multi-university effort. And essentially it starts out with they've got uh, almost 2,900 progeny, which are individual plants, that are planted across three sites, and they've selected these all the way down. So essentially, uh, if you check out the article, it's pretty interesting. This is a typical plant breeding effort uh, where they take stuff, you know, first in the greenhouses, select from there a smaller subset, and continue to work down until they're into field trials, okay? And what they've did here the last several years, I'll just kind of f- forward this on from 2012 to 2019 through 21, they're planting the top 10 varieties that they've chosen out of these uh, nearly 2,900 that they started with. Uh, they're planting those at golf courses and research centers in the transition zone, uh, then collecting uh, in- or data on freeze tolerance uh, and some other things. And then finally here uh, in 2019, they took what they thought were the best three, and they put those in the NTEP uh, zoysia grass trial. So we'll see how that goes. But, um, you know, so Ray, this is a collaborative effort, it says, between Texas A&M, Kansas State, and Purdue is interesting because mm-hmm. uh zoysia grass you may or may not know uh is um pretty prevalent even in the southern part of ohio ray uh mostly on no, golf i, I know it is see it, see it on on home lawns and, and and that's 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 overblown i think a little bit in terms of how functional it is and this and that i think uh, some of the improved zoysias would be interesting to try in a lawn setting here uh in ohio but mm-hmm. particularly on golf course it's very uh, very predominant grass southwest ohio and down into kentucky and points south there but my my question for you is is there and i don't i don't know is there a silver bullet zoysia grass that they that you think will come out of this that works seemingly most places i don't want to say everywhere because that's a broad statement actually the zoysia cultivar believe it or not that has proven to be the most hardy has been this legacy variety called emerald zoysia. Mm. Are you familiar with emerald zoysia, Ryan? I can't say that I am in per, in, in practice or in person. No. Meyer, but, yeah. okay. 
the difference between Emerald and Meyer is how much more disease and nematode resistant Emerald Zoysia is versus the Zoysia japonica accessions. Because the thing about the Zoysia japonica accessions that I've found out about the hard way is, for example, a lot of these cultivars or selections are extremely susceptible to lance and sting nematodes, and there has yet to be a japonica variety that is highly resistant to large patch. Hmm. And the reason why I know I've seen so many emerald zoysia lawns scrapped and replaced with a zoysia japonica cultivar is because emerald zoysia is extremely, and I repeat, extremely difficult to mow. Because yeah. zoysia japonica, I mean, zoysia, emerald zoysia is a cross and a selection from this grass called zoysia tenufolia. And the natural tendency of zoysia tenufolia is to form unmowable mounds and humps. I mean, the, uh, you know, if you were to look at a zoysia tenufolia stand in its, you know, native habitat of uh, Asia, they don't mow it there. But you might say, oh my God, this lawn looks like it has, uh, I don't know, monkeypox or something. <laughs> It's all well, it's all lumps and bumps, Ryan. I mean, <laughs> I, that's the thing. I, I I think that there's so much uh, with zoysia that so many different uh, traits and characteristics. It does have a lot of upside, you know, in, in in some cases in terms of what it presents. But there's so many different traits that you need to sort of I would say control for, right? In terms of appearance and color, there is a trait. Things. Go ahead. There is a trait that. Ryan, I don't think it's being looked at enough. And you know what that that trait is, Ryan? Lay it on me. Somebody needs to work on getting the silica content of the tissues down. So it's not so hard to mow. Explain explain how uh, that can be problematic. Okay. Zoysia. Even Zoysia japonica tends to accumulate extremely high concentrations of silica in their leaves and stems and, you know, above ground parts. So texture wise, the grass is stiff. Everybody says that Zoysia is pokey, you know, when they touch it and feel it in person. Mm -hmm. But. That stiffness, that concentration of silica in the tissues, also means that mowers that have to mow zoysia, blades get dull extremely fast. Mm -hmm. And to give you the idea, Ryan, Mm -hmm. guess how many times a year I replace the bed knife on my GM 1000? 
I'll say in a given year for Ray on Zoysian Hawaii, I will say six times. You're not wrong. And guess how many times I need to replace the reel itself? At least yearly. Every year. Every year that that reel comes off. Every year that reel comes off because, because no matter what, I mean, I don't care if somebody sells me on that zero contact spin grind only program, which by the way, the zero contact zeros, you know, spin grind only real setup on Zoisha is a real loser. It's a real loser because what happens is that Zoisha will wear off that sharp edge on that reel and bed knife. And next thing you know, you're leaving your turf area a shredded, ugly mess. Well, and so let me say this, and I'll I'll say this uh, as directly as I can, is that uh, I think that's why we, as a group of turf managers, one disagree because I I think there are I think there are situations that it does work. Zoe's just not one mm-hmm. of them. But I think the, the the larger point here is this: is that you know. We're not steadfast on any of our beliefs so much to say that, hey, it works in every single situation, right? And that's mm-hmm. just the way it's got to be. Like, uh, we're, I, I think, far enough along and confident enough in what we do to say that there are no hard, fast rules like that that exist in turf, or very few of them, if I can think off the top of my head. So all that being said is that uh, Zoysia grass um, has a place here in the transition zone. I think it could be. It'll be interesting to see. This is uh, I'll leave you with this, Ray, as a teaser of something to think about and something that uh, we're going to try here, not in a sports field situation, but just as a little FAFO of some. Uh, there's there's one of these. I don't know if it's one that's in NTEP this year, but we will have mm-hmm. one of these that we throw up against like Tahoma and Iron Cutter just to see what happens in Central Ohio when you do stupid stuff with warm season grass in the north. And we'll mm-hmm. see where it goes from there. Time's up. It's over. But it's not, Matt. It's fucking not. All right. You know, you're not here, <laughs> but you need to shut the fuck up. All right. <laughs> Listen, so um, let's do this last, this last uh, return here, which takes us up to Maryland, Ray. $4.8 million mm-hmm. grant supports sustainable fertilizer research. Waste from poultry farms can be processed into biochar, a carbon-rich material that promotes crop growth but is safer for the environment than traditional fertilizer. All right, they already fucked up the lead. I got a problem with this article. I appreciate what they're trying to do, but that's not the way it works. We'll let, we'll let them live, all right? They've only been in the Big mm-hmm. Ten for like a few a handful of years. They still got to acclimate themselves to, you know, to be at an Ohio State level. So anyway, backed by a $4.8 million grant from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, the University of Maryland Agriculture researchers are working with partners to develop a more sustainable fertilizer, one that's safer for aquatic ecosystems than traditional alternatives and could even help climate, fight climate change. Standard fertilizers like poultry litter, a nutrient-rich mixture of chicken waste, feathers, and bedding, reliably boost crop growth. But excess phosphorus and nitrogen from them can run off into streams causing algal blooms, algal blooms oxygen-poor dead zones, and other problems that have plagued the Chesapeake Bay and many other bodies, water bodies worldwide. 
The USDA-funded research focuses on converting the poultry litter into a material known as biochar through a process called pyrolysis, a slow and controlled burn at an extremely high temperatures in the absence of any oxygen, resulting in a powdery end product high in carbon and other nutrients essential for crop growth. And we've sounded like we've heard this before. Four-year project working with scientists, Florida A&M, University of Florida, and uh, University of California Davis will focus on optimizing the process, determining to how to best apply it to soils and developing recommendations for farmers. Quote, unquote, the technology is there. Companies are already commercially producing biochar, so we want to improve the science, make a definitive recommendation for farmers, and make the, its use more prevalent than it is now, said Rohan Tikikar an associate professor and extension specialist from the uh, Department of Nutrition and Food Science who's leading the UMD project. It won't fully replace traditional fertilizers, but it could reduce the amount needed. And farmers producing the waste, it could be an additional source of revenue. All right. So they go on to talk about who's involved and everything like that. So, um, hey, $4.8 million is a lot of money. They should be able to figure some things out. Ray, let me ask you this. With this, mm-hmm. I, I think this is a good thing. It's always good to see money being directed towards research on things that we think uh, are promising, right? To to vet them out. What would be some of your chief questions, top one, two, or so, uh, that you would want to have examined in this research and and just to see what's going on? I would want to see, you know, as part of my question is, what is the actual nutrient efficiency of this product and number two what are the actual effects of putting carbon derived from pyrolysis in the rest of the agronomics of a field because you know my concern anytime somebody tells me that they're going to be applying porous carbon to an area is what impact will that have on all of your other agronomic inputs? You know, that is something that I always have a question of about, is if you put down all of this carbon that is similar in behavior to what's called activated charcoal, what effect is that going to have on the rest of your agronomic program? And finally... Even though I know that the poultry litter is fairly clean regarding forever chemicals, are we adequately Mm. testing this product for unintended materials in that, in, in, you know, in the exit stream? Are we testing? I mean, are we keeping track of this? Mm. I that you know, I don't know. You know, I I don't know because it seems like every time somebody goes on this kick of trying to recycle or repurpose something, there's unintended consequences, Ryan. I always. mean, there, there's I, you know, I always, you know, because the unintended consequences thing seems to be a recurring theme every time something outside of the norm is tried or is being promoted. And 
the unintended consequences, unfortunately to me, are often either not thought about by the promoters of alternatives or they are seriously downplayed. I mean, please tell me the bad as well as the good and let me decide. And I, 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 I'm glad you said all that because I think that stuff is spot on in terms of what is the, the uh, ulterior impacts, not necessarily motives, but impacts, right, that we should be aware mm -hmm. of, number one. And number two is um, what, what are the standards, right? Like just saying that, oh, hey, biochar works and poultry litter works. Like what are the standards that those materials need to have as a raw going into these systems, right, and to put them together uh, in a product, right, of uh, poultry litter and biochar together? So I think that mm -hmm. would be some of the most telling research. I think we're they're going to look more at crop performance and everything like that, and maybe not pull back the curtain too much on the raw material side of things, probably because there's not enough funding to do that, or I, I don't know. But I'll be interested to see how these experiments are designed and set up and the data collection that goes in behind them to support the conclusions or uh, the results thereof. So we'll keep an eye on this for sure. and. Uh, you know, hey, crab cakes and biochar, that's what Maryland does, apparently. So, all right. With that, there is no mailbag tonight. And uh, before we get out of here, we're just going to give a plug to our patrons. Uh, we've got, uh, you know, a lot of good folks here. We're getting ready to start lawn season up uh, for many of you that are DIYers, that are pros. Some of you have already started already, you crazy bastards. <laughs> um, but uh, we're here for it with, you know, with you for thick and thin. Uh, if you don't know about our Patreon, uh, go ahead and check it out, www.patreon.com forward slash burn return. Uh, in some parts of the country, you can no longer even buy a gallon of gas for what it costs to become a member at the lowest possible level. But I promise you, uh, all levels are important, uh, not necessarily just to support the show, but to uh, include yourself into our community. It gets you access to our private Discord server, uh, questions answered, dreams shared, uh, losses and crushed dreams as well and uh, we even get together on zoom and, and talk things over life liberty and lawns uh and all things in between so it's fun time highly encourage you to check it out and support the show if you can because ray we're just a bunch of fledgling guys we live under rocks in our basements of our parents uh dead or alive <laughs> and uh you know it's by the grace of god that we're sitting here talking tonight and have internet connection uh all because of food stamps so that being said, <laughs> it is time to sign off tonight. Hope you all enjoyed it, and we'll catch you all on the next one. Dume, uh, you did a fantastic job carrying the show there for a hot minute while Ray was cussing at his computer. Nah, it's <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Yeah, thank, thank you, Ryan. I 